The prophet was old and he was tired. He'd lived a long life. He'd seen a lot of things. You think 2020 is going to be a big year? He'd seen a lot more changes than that. He'd been a part of it, right in the heart of what was happening in the kingdom. And now, now he wasn't sure how many days he had left. And as he lay there, he started to hear someone coming up the road toward his cottage near at hoofbeats, only rich people, had horses that you could hear hoofbeats, and then he started hearing a few more and a few more. Not any normal common person would have that many people accompanying them. Who could it be? And he sat there and he thought, and he heard more and more coming, and he knew it had to be the king. The king was coming to see him. He hadn't seen the king very much. The king kind of wanted to do his own thing. He was a little bit different than the prophet. He saw things differently. It had been different with the king's grandfather. The prophet kind of closed his eyes and thought back to that day when, when his grandfather came to power and how he was so intense and he was so on fire. And he came to the country and he said, we are going to change. We're going to follow the true God. And he called the people together and they destroyed the worship and the altars of everything they'd been doing to false gods. And they kept going and, and the prophet had watched. And he was excited because God had been so ready to do this for so long. And as he watched what was happening in the kingdom, he prayed, oh, don't stop. Keep going, Jehu, God is using you. Don't stop. But after a little while, he kind of lost his fervor and things started to go back to the way they were before. After that, then his son came to power and the prophet thought about him and, and how he hadn't really tried to make any stand for God at all. He just continued and continued worshiping the false gods that everyone else had done until, as they hadn't been praying for God's protection, other enemies had come and had been taking over the country. And so this king, he did what many of us often do when we're in trouble, and he started to pray. And the prophet remembered how this king prayed, and he cried out to God, and he said, Lord, please have mercy on our nation. And because God is so good and his grace is so abundant, God did, and God rescued them. And the prophet remembered thinking and praying, oh, Please continue. You've, you've done something good. God is, God is working. Jehoaz, don't stop. But once things were good, once the kingdom was looking better, the king had gone back to his old ways. And then now was his son. His son was king. And his son, the prophet, had no hope for him at all. He didn't follow God at all. It was too hard. It was too different. It wasn't culturally acceptable. It wasn't what the people wanted. You have to do what the people want, right? So the prophet hadn't seen him very much. But now the king was coming to see him. And he heard kind of a knock at the door, and it creaked open, and he uh, leaned up, and oh, it hurt. And in came the king. The king entered, and he looked around, and he saw the prophet. This prophet that he'd heard so much about. And he wasn't sure, he could never quite tell what was fact and what was fiction. Because he'd heard stories that this prophet had multiplied loaves of bread to feed a crowd. He'd heard that this prophet had prayed and healed a whole water source for an entire community. 
He'd heard that this prophet had prayed for a widow who had just a little bit of oil and she needed some kind of income to take care of her family. And he'd prayed and how that oil had multiplied and it had filled multiple jars again and again to fill a whole room. He'd heard that this prophet had brought someone back from the dead. And he wasn't really sure if that part would gotten a little bigger than this story, maybe. But some days he could almost believe it because he knew what this prophet had done for their country. Every time that they'd been completely in a desperate situation and and needed deliverance from whatever enemy was oppressing them lately, it was the kingdom of Aram, the Syrians. Every time they'd had a victory, every time that, that, that when the big siege had taken place or when they were about to face a big battle, that prophet had prayed or he'd prophesied something, or he'd given a strategy, and every time they won. And so this king had a healthy respect for this prophet. Even though they didn't really see eye to eye, the prophet, the prophet was a little exclusive in the way he wanted to worship God. It was kind of, in the king's opinion, my way or the highway. The king was a little more, this is my truth. I'll do things my way. I'm not, I'm not sure about that. But still, he had to see him because he heard he was dying. And he came in and he looked, and the prophet looked awful. He just, he looked like he was on death's door. He was old and, and frail and, and balding and, and all big, huge bags under his eyes because he couldn't sleep. And, and he looked like he was in a lot of pain. And the king was actually sad because he realized that out of the whole army that they had as a nation, all their assets, that prophet was worth more than all of it. And so he just was overcome and he rushed over and he started crying. And if you want to follow along with this story in your Bibles, we're in 2 Kings chapter 13. 2 Kings 13 verse 14, the king came over to the prophet and he just cried out, my father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel, you are of more value than our whole army, than all the chariots and all the horsemen, and I can't believe you're going to leave us. And I would imagine that the prophet Elisha, that he maybe wouldn't have known what to do with that. Okay, shed your tears. It's not going to change anything. We go when we go. But this prophet listened to the still small voice of God. And so instead of just saying, oh, that's nice. Thanks for coming to see me. He heard that God was telling him to do something different. And so he made a very unusual request. He told the king, get a bow and some arrows. Well, the king always had a bow and arrows with him, and so he signaled to his attendants, and they they brought it forward. And then Elisha said, we're continuing in verse 15, take the bow in your hands. Verse 16, he said to the king of Israel, when he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. When Elisha spoke, you better obey. So he got his bow, he got his arrows, and Elisha says, verse 17, open the east window he said. Now this is interesting. So the king walks over to the east window and he opens it and he looks out and he sees the blue sky and there's not a breeze at all. It's just still air and he looks past the villages and the people out tending their fields and he looks way out there and way out there he can imagine. He can't quite see but out there is a towns that the Aramaeans had taken over. Out there was the towns that are supposed to be part of the nation of Israel that had actually been captured. 
And the army had come in and they'd come in like a flood and they'd kidnap their children. They'd set fire to their buildings, to their crops, to their village. It was terrible. He didn't know exactly. They couldn't always get word back from there because that was the land of the enemy. And the king didn't really like to look out that window because looking toward the east represented his failures. It represented everything he'd done wrong. It represented all that place and all that, those towns he hadn't been able to take back yet. He hoped he could. But the prophet's saying, open the east window. So he does. What can you do? The guy's dying. And then Elisha says something interesting. He opened it. Elisha said, shoot. Okay. So he, the, remember the prophet's hands are around his hands. And he pulls back the bow and arrows and he lets one go. Sails out through the window far, far away. And in that moment, Elisha starts speaking and the prophet recognizes something. The king recognizes something. This prophet is prophesying. He's saying something. He's starting to predict. And Elisha said, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declared, you, king, will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. Aphek was, was some town and the king could picture it. And he thought, oh, that sounds pretty good. Okay, I'll go along with that. But the prophet, he must have been thinking differently. God, is this really what you're telling me to say right now? This king hasn't followed you at all. He doesn't care about you. And you're telling me to tell him that he's going to have this victory when he didn't even ask? But when God speaks, you better listen. And when he gives you a message for someone, you better say it. And so he keeps going. And he realizes that God, God's grace isn't stopping with that. That God is giving this king an opportunity. Because then Elisha says, verse 18, take the arrows. So the king goes over and, and he takes them and he takes his whole quiver full of arrows and he picks it up and Elisha told him, strike the ground. This was a huge opportunity. This is crazy grace. If the king had stopped and, and thought a little bit more, the prophet Elisha was prophesying, this is what God is going to do. He's going to bring you victory. When you did this action, when you let that arrow fly, God said, you're going to have this battle won. So now he's saying, strike the ground. What more does God want to do? What's going to come next? And the king picked up the arrows. Okay, he had to oblige the prophet. And the prophet waited. And I can imagine he waited with bated breath. Because this was a pivotal moment. This is a deciding moment for this king. What was he going to do? And Elisha waited, and he closed his eyes, and he, and he heard one arrow that the king drew back and hit the ground. He heard the second one, and he was praying, God, I don't get your grace, but you're giving it to this king right now. Please help him seize this moment. Oh, oh Jehoash, keep going. Don't stop, Jehoash. Second arrow, third arrow, don't stop silence. He shot three arrows at the ground. He struck the ground, and then God's word tells us he stopped. And Elisha felt his heart completely fall, because 
for so many years, he'd watch this nation and its leaders start turning to God, start to make the right decision, and then they'd go back. And then they'd start turning to God again, and then they would go back and back and forth. And, and it's kind of hard on your heart after a while, and you get kind of jaded and you get kind of hard. And now he was looking and thinking, okay, something is actually going to happen. What I've prayed for and worked for and my mentor before me, I'm actually going to see revival. But the king had thrown it all away. He stopped. And if we look at God's word, verse 19 says, the man of God was angry with him. Elisha was devastated. He felt this just intense sadness and then, and then it just turned to anger as the heat rushed up through him and he, he fell, I can't believe this. And he just erupts at the king. And I can imagine exclamation points at the end of these statements. You should have struck the ground five or, or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will defeat it only three times. And those are the last recorded words of Elisha. Because verse 20 says, Elisha died and was buried. And that's all we know. And if you look at the very end of this chapter, Elisha's words came true. Because the very last word, very last verse says, three times Jehoash, King Jehoash, defeated him, meaning Ben-Hadad, the son of Haziel, the king of Aram. And so we recovered the Israelite towns. How many times did he defeat him? Three times. How many arrows? Three arrows. Imagine, what if the king had struck the ground five or six times? What would have happened at the end of that chapter? It would have been a very different outcome. And that's why Elisha was so angry, because he knew this wasn't just a game. This wasn't just something that they were kind of acting out like a play or a drama. This was an opportunity for the king to actually come into alignment with God's will and his heart for him. But he just didn't care. I haven't been able to interview the king personally. I don't know exactly what was going through his mind. But if you look at scripture, the most logical conclusion that we can draw, because he kind of answered halfway, right? He said strike the ground. He didn't completely not strike the ground, but he didn't do it for very long. He just did it for three times. So it seems to me that he was just kind of humoring the prophet. Okay, you want me to strike the ground? I'll do it. All right, there's three. Am I good now? Have I paid my respects? Rest in peace, prophet. God bless you. He just didn't care. He didn't care enough. He didn't want what God was calling him to do. And if you think about it, he was just, he was apathetic. And I looked up apathy in the dictionary because that always helps. Dictionary.com, Google. And it tells us that apathy means a, the absence or suppression of passion, emotion, or excitement. It can mean a lack of interest in or a concern for things that others find moving or exciting. And the opposite of, pa of it is passion. And it's interesting because if you go to the next slide, we have a vision here at our church. And if any of you were here last week, how many of you were here last week? Pastor Tim preached and he preached on our mission as a church. And I want to see if any of you are awake. Do you remember what our mission is here at the Forest Lake Church? Live the gospel. 
Yes, yes. I heard his wife first and then I heard others. So that's good. You were listening. You're paying attention. Our mission is to live the gospel, but we also have a vision. And that is to have a passion for God, a passion for people, and a passion for service. Is your life marked by passion? Or do you come to that critical point, to that key moment, just like the king, and choose to stop when there's so much more that God wanted to do? I look at my life, and I wonder, do people see passion? Or more, more accurately, when God looks at my life, does he see passion? Because it's easy to do our thing at church, but God knows our hearts. He knows where our energy is. Do we come to that key moment and do we pursue? Do we run as hard in the direction as God is calling us? Or do we stop? I was thinking about, as we're starting this month of January, it's 2020, and I was realizing I came on July 1st, so it's been five months, or is it six now? Anyways, and it's been a short time here, but I was thinking back to my very first Sabbath here. And it was actually my second Sabbath. I remember I had just moved into my new apartment the night before. And it was late that Friday night, and so I didn't have much food yet. I didn't have hardly anything in the house. And I finished at church, said hi to everybody. I got home. And what do you do when you get home? Finally, after church, you're hungry. Yes. And so I looked, and I hadn't had a chance to buy groceries yet. But I had this big, beautiful basket that I've been given with all of these snacks from Trader Joe's. And I never shop at Trader Joe's because that's, that's, above, that's above me. And I was like, wow, this is, this is nice. And so I look, and all these things are from Trader Joe's. And, and here's these cheese sticks, sourdough cheese sticks. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting. I've never bought those before. And I look at it, and I'm like, oh, this is kind of like, um, you know, kind of like some bread, some carbs. This will be a good lunch. So I take out one or two, and I start eating them. And I'm like, okay. And then I look at the back at the um, recommended ways to eat these wonderful sourdough cheese sticks. And one of the suggestions is put them in the oven. I'm like, oh, now that is an idea. Because I'm someone that I like my bread warm. I like toasted. I like all that thing. You know, take the time. Just make it taste better. So I'm like, okay, let me, let me take these, chicks, these um, cheese sticks to the next level. So I go over to my oven and I turn it on. And I'm like, man, I'm in a rush. And I think back to my best friend, my roommate at Southern, and she loves toast. She just loves it every single morning. I remember coming out and and I would smell the smell of toast and she'll just grab it on the way to class. But she is very smart and what she would do is she would put the oven on broil because it goes really fast. And she'd put the toast on the, just that, um, the bread on that top rack because we didn't have a toaster and just after maybe a minute it was ready to go. If none of you have tried this, it works very well. You just have to watch it. So I'm like, oh, well, I can just put this on broil, and it'll get done even faster. So I put my cheese sticks on a little pan, and I'm like, let me just run to my room real fast. I'm going to grab something, and I'll come right back. They'll be ready. Presto. So I put them in. I run to my room, and I come back, and I see smoke. And I smell smoke, and I'm like, oh, no, this is not good. So I go into the kitchen. And I look at the oven, I turn on that little oven light, and I look in, there's flames. I'm like, oh no, this is so bad. This is my first full day in my new apartment. This is, this is my new church. I've never lived in Florida before, and, and I'm setting fire to my apartment. It's going to burn down, and they're going to evict me, and it's going to be so terrible, and oh, I can't believe this. And so I'm like, what do I do? 
you know? And all of you, I'm sure, can advise me later on what I should have done. I don't think this is the recommendation at all. But what I did do is I grabbed a towel and I pulled the pan out and I ran over to my front door. I opened it and I just threw it down and I'm trying to get the flames out because it's contained in the little dish. It's okay, don't worry. And I'm like, and of course my fire alarm is going off. And I'm like, oh, the neighbors, what are they going to do? They're probably, hopefully they're gone, but maybe they're sleeping. You know, it's a Saturday and, and the door right next door opens and my neighbor comes out that I haven't met yet and he looks at me and I look at him and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I, I promise this is the fire. It's right here. It's okay. No comment. He just goes back inside, closes the door. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. So finally, the fire goes out, praise the Lord, but now I still have the fire alarm going off, so I run inside, I throw open all my windows, I turn on the fan in the kitchen, and I'm just like, oh, any minute, like, someone's going to come out, or the office is going to call me, but praise God, it all, it all worked out, and finally the fire alarm stopped. We're just going to call it a test, so I know it's working. <laughs> so I feel very safe and secure in my apartment at this time. Oh, it's crazy. But as I look back at that moment, I was so serious about getting that fire out. There is no way that I was going to just maybe open one of the windows or, oh, I guess like it can just kind of burn out. It'll be fine. No, I was passionate about doing everything that I could to get that fire out. And when I think about my life, though, as a Christian, and I think about that vision that we had, passion for God, passion for people, passion for service? Am I passionate about the things of God? Or do I just kind of start and do it halfway? So many times when God brings something to my mind, there's an impression. And it's something, of course, that it's a good thing to do. And, and maybe it goes along with what God says in his word. But I, I wait and I say, oh, is that God's will? Let me pray about it a little bit. Let me think about this a little bit. You hear me? Or maybe I finally do and I say, oh yeah, this is, let me follow through with this. God, yes, this is a great idea. This is what I'm going to do. And I start on the first day and then life gets busy. I get distracted, whatever happens. And then it's weeks or months later and I'm looking at my journal or someone's talking and I, oh, it jars my memory and oh man, I completely forgot that thing. Or maybe I kind of start doing it, but it, it's just, it's hard or it's not what I was expecting. And Am I living with this passion? Am I running hard in the direction that God is calling me to go? Or am I stopping? And if we're not careful, we can be just like this king in this story, where we come right up to the crucial moment, but we just do it halfway and we stop. When I was studying this story, preparing for today, I also pulled out a book called Prophets and Kings that talks a little bit more about this story. And I love this insight that I found. Um, we can throw that up on the screen. The lesson is for all in positions of trust. When God opens the way for the accomplishment of a certain work and gives assurance of success, which is what he did to the king, the chosen instrumentality must do all in his or her power to bring about the promised result. In proportion to the enthusiasm and perseverance with which the work is carried forward will be the success given. God can work miracles for his people only as they act their part with untiring energy. 
He calls for men and women and children of devotion to his work, men of moral courage with ardent love for souls and with a zeal that never flags. Such workers will find no task too arduous, no prospect too hopeless. They will labor on undaunted until apparent defeat is turned into glorious victory. Did you catch that? God works in proportion to our enthusiasm and to our passion. God would work miracles for his people only as we do our part. Do we pray for a miracle and then forget about it and go through our day? Do we expect God to work when we're not doing our part? Or have we not put our whole heart into it? And God is waiting and saying, well, I thought you asked me, but I guess not. And today, as I think about January 4, 2020, our first Saturday in the new year, I think that today can be a pivotal moment for each one of us. And you may say, okay, yeah, first day, New Year's resolutions, all that kind of a thing. But it's true, because each one of us, no matter where we are at, God is giving us extravagant grace. Just like he gave this king, he said, it doesn't matter that you haven't followed me all this time, I still want to give you this victory. I still want to give you deliverance. You just got to partner with me. You just got to surrender. And I know as I've been thinking and praying this week, I've been asking God, Lord, what is it that I need to follow through on in my life personally? And I invite you to wrestle with that between you and God right now. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what it would mean for you starting this week to not just strike the ground a couple times, but to actually take your quiver and empty all the arrows. It's going to be work. It's going to be hard. Maybe it's a relationship that God is calling you to invest in. Maybe it's investing more in being present with your kids or your parents or your family. Maybe there's a marriage in this room that seems completely hopeless and you really don't care anymore. And God is telling you, keep fighting. Don't stop. Maybe it's pursuing a deeper walk with Jesus. Maybe it's spending time with him in his word. And it's so hard because we get so busy. And God is saying, keep going. Keep running. Don't stop. Maybe it's being honest about an addiction and asking for help. Maybe it's starting a small group. Maybe it's something that God is calling you to do in this community that seems so scary. And God is calling you to take that step of faith and not just try a little bit, but to throw your whole heart into it. Maybe it's making a, a deeper step of commitment at this church or telling a friend or a coworker about Jesus. I don't know what it is today, but I know that Jesus is making us this invitation. And so this time, Pastor Jeremy is going to sing a song and as he does that, we're going to have a few prayer partners come up that would just love to pray with you because that's church and that's the community of faith. So if there's something on your heart that you would love to have someone else support you in prayer for, that God is calling you to make this step to run hard and not to stop and you'd like someone to pray with you, I invite you to just come forward and to pray with them. You can also raise your hand, and they'd be happy to come to you in the audience. They're in the balcony, too. And even if you're watching online, you can email us, and we'd be happy to pray for you as well. But I pray that this is a pivotal moment, that we run hard, that we don't stop.